in uh, strapping for a special edition of the In This Corner podcast, ready to invade your senses and spill your underjuice with another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. If you can't already tell, it's not the Brian Campbell, but Adam Silverstein as the voice that you hear. And I'll be honest, Samsonites, it's 1 a.m. on the East Coast, coming out of the Royal Rumble, and I'm kind of running solo here on the ITC. The man whose name is on the marquee, he's floating somewhere out in the Caribbean right now on a cruise with his family. Though I promise you will hear from him shortly on this very show. As far as well-dressed Nick Costas goes, well, he's getting his beauty rest, trying to keep those bags from forming under his eyes as Super Bowl week is about to begin. But let's be honest, there was no way we could come out of Sunday's tremendous Royal Rumble pay-per-view without some analysis. And you know the ITC and the Silver King are always here to deliver. So here's what's in store for you on this special edition of the ITC. I'm going to kick things off with a quick breakdown of everything that went down this weekend in WWE before the Brian Campbell takes over with an exclusive interview with the newest members of the 2018 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. You can call them the greatest tag team of all time. You can call them part of the foundation of extreme championship wrestling. Just don't call them late for dinner because the Dudley boys will be WWE's newest inductees this April in New Orleans. And after BC talks to Bubba Ray and Devon, we will connect again before the show is out to talk Vince McMahon and his big XFL announcement and a little, couple other WWE headlines. And since it's the Silver King penetrating your ear canal this week, and folks, I know you don't want to hear me talk one hour straight on this podcast, let's get right to spilling some milk of Marknesia by running through what went down this weekend in WWE. And I know plenty happened in New Japan Pro Wrestling as well, but we're going to be saving that for when BC and Handsome Nick return. And really, there is nowhere else to start but with Ronda Rousey becoming the latest full-time member of the WWE roster. Not only did she close out the 2018 Royal Rumble by making her debut with her entrance music, coming down to the ring with Charlotte Flair, Alexa Bliss, and the first women's Royal Rumble winner, Asuka, all in the ring, but there was a coordinated media attack between WWE and ESPN to come out with an announcement and a quote from Ronda Rousey. I'm going to read it to you right now. Quote, This is my life now. First priority on my timeline for the next several years. This is not a smash and grab. This is not a publicity stunt. When I first met with Triple H, I told him, quote, There are other things I can do with my time that'll make me way more money, but I won't enjoy nearly as much, unquote. So that means, folks, Ronda Rousey is a WWE superstar, and it sounds like she's doing it full-time now. Whether that means she's on the Brock Lesnar full-time schedule or let's say the Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair full-time schedule, that certainly remains to be seen at this point. But there's no question that her presence was felt Sunday night in Philadelphia when she made her debut on the show. And, and I got to say, I think WWE really made a good move here, not including her in the Royal Rumble match. couple quick reasons. First, of course, you want her first time in the ring to be special. And having her already involved in a special first-ever moment in WWE in the Royal Rumble itself kind of takes away from that. You might want that first match to be at WrestleMania 34. That makes a lot of sense. Also, the Royal Rumble itself, the Women's Royal Rumble, it was pretty damn good. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say it lived up to the Men's Royal Rumble, but it definitely got a B, B-plus for me. There are plenty of you know surprise announcements. We're going to get to those in very short order. But back to Rousey. 
you know, I think it worked. You know, the entrance worked well. She's using the Rowdy nickname, dressed up similarly to Rowdy Roddy Piper. The pop was huge. Our new WWE editor here at CBS Sports, Jack Jorgensen, was in the crowd in Philadelphia. He said they lost their bleep when her music hit. It makes sense. I think it worked extremely well. Let's move over to that women's Royal Rumble match. And let's get right into that now as Asuka became the first woman in WWE history to win a Royal Rumble. It was a pretty tremendous event. I enjoyed it from start to finish. Let's go through the unannounced uh, competitors that were in there because those were really the surprises in addition to the 17 women who were announced. It was originally 18, by the way. Alicia Fox actually got pulled out of the Royal Rumble last minute. She broke her tailbone, apparently in a recent match. Unfortunate for her, obviously, an 11-year WWE veteran. Would have been great to have her in this match. But the unannounced women that participated were Lita, Carrie Sane, Tori Wilson, Molly Holly, Michelle McCool, Vicky Guerrero, Kelly Kelly, Jacqueline, Beth Phoenix, Ember Moon, Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, and of course, Trish Stratus. The match itself, as I said, B, B plus for me. They definitely did a great job getting all of the veterans in there that really needed to be there. It was pretty cool that Michelle McCool ended up getting almost the Undertaker Kane spot. I think she got four eliminations in a row, if I can remember. Molly Holly was incredibly impressive, not just with her physique, but her in-ring ability at this age. Lita got a couple early eliminations. Vicky Guerrero obviously got her excuse me screaming spots that really went over well with the WWE Universe. Kelly Kelly, Jacqueline didn't really do much. Beth Phoenix faced off uh, with Nia Jax and then again with Natalia. Ember Moon got a couple nice spots with Asuka and otherwise. Nikki Bella was actually in the final two with Asuka and Brie Bella got a little bit of shine as well. In terms of the match itself, like I said, pretty good from start to finish. It was a little bit of a downer to see Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch be number one and number two, which really said to me that neither was going to win. They, of course, could have had Sasha Banks go 1-30 to and not only be the first woman, woman to win, but go the distance as well, which would have been pretty impressive. As it does stand, she was the longest uh, entrant in the Royal Rumble. I think she was in there for the vast majority of that match. She was in the final five, if I remember correctly. Um, but at the end, when it was Asuka and Nikki Bella... It was pretty obvious Nikki Bella was not going to win, and and that is a situation that I think WWE could have avoided just by having, whether it was Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch or really anyone else that's a current wrestler in there would have been pretty cool. The other thing I'll tell you is once Trish Stratus got announced at 30, I didn't necessarily think she was going to win, but I kind of thought to myself, well, she looks great in the ring. She was able to handle the job, and I would have popped pretty hard for a... Charlotte Flair, Trish Stratus main event match at WrestleMania 34. So obviously that's not the direction they're going with Ronda Rousey. And the expectation for me at least is that we're going to have a Ronda Rousey-Charlotte Flair title match at WrestleMania 34. It makes the most sense. You have Asuka winning. Technically she gets her choice of champion to challenge. I think it'll wind up being for the Raw title. I just happen to think that you're going to see a heel Sasha Banks take that championship into WrestleMania as opposed to Alexa Bliss, who has it right now. Sasha showed a lot of heel tendencies in the Royal Rumble tonight. Not only did she throw her own best friend Bailey out of the ring, kind of stabbing her in the back, but she was really talking trash to both Trish Stratus and Asuka. And the truth is, Sasha Banks, we all know, works way better as a heel. So it's a pretty good situation for her, if that is the direction. Preceding that match was the Universal Championship Triple Threat, 
You had Brock Lesnar defending against Braun Strowman and, and Kane. And folks, this match went pretty much exactly as Brian and I, BC and I, said that it would. It was a train wreck. They really tried to replicate that Great Balls of Fire fatal four-way match uh, from the summer back in July. The problem is, you had Kane in the match as opposed to Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe. And, and when that is your substitute, you just knew it wasn't going to work that way. So it was really Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar uh, you know, putting forth a path of destruction. There were table spots, chair shots. It it quickly divulged into an extreme rules match, which to me, I don't even know why they just didn't go ahead and advertise it that way, because it would have been at least a little bit more attractive to know that going in, even though really with those three guys, what the hell else was it going to be? Ultimately, Brock Lesnar went over. Um, he had, I mean, there were numerous spots that I could go through. Again, this is tr- I'm supposed to try to keep this short. There've been running power slams. There were choke slams. There were F5s. Ultimately, though, uh, Brock Lesnar kind of threw Kane into Strowman, knocking him off the ring apron, hit an F5 on Kane, the 1-2-3, basically just as we all expected. You now, have Bro- you now have Brock Lesnar going into WrestleMania most likely as the champion. There's still Elimination Chamber to come in February, though BC and I both do agree that is most likely where Roman Reigns will win the number one contendership and get an opportunity at Brock Lesnar. The one interesting development that came out of this match, I will say, Braun Strowman stood tall in the middle of the ring and was screaming to Brock Lesnar, you still have not beaten me. Basically that Lesnar can't pin Strowman, he was able to get around it with Kane. That does leave the potential for a triple threat match with Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. But if you do listen to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestler Observer Radio, they have other plans for Braun Strowman. I'm not going to go ahead and ruin those right now. And what ended up being very much a popcorn match of the evening, you had the Raw Tag Team Championships change hands as the bar defeated Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan. It was a pretty strange match. Early in the match, Jason Jordan basically took a concussion shot from Cesaro, who ran him right into a ring post. Jordan was kind of woozy. He was kind of passed out at the side of the ring by the ring apron for a while. He made his way to the back, and you thought it was going to be a two-on-one handicap match the rest of the way. And then Jordan made his way back to the ring, stumbling, tagged in, t- tagged himself in while Rollins needed help, and then sat in the corner and kind of was woozy again and immediately tagged himself out, knowing he wouldn't be able to wrestle. So Rollins comes back in, eats a you know brogue kick from Sheamus, then white noise with Cesaro helping off the top rope and the tag team titles change hands. It made a lot of sense for the title change. The match itself and the way it transpired was kind of strange because while it did make Jordan a bit sympathetic, it also kind of leads you to question, well, isn't WWE involved in some type of head trauma concussion lawsuit right now? And even in storyline, why would the trainers allow a wrestler who's obviously suffering a concussion to go back out to the ring and try to participate? It's not like the referee stopped him or the trainers ran out from the back and got him. It was just strange. It was a little convoluted to me. Again, the title change was fine, but the match and the way it transpired just was not. And while the action was pretty decent in the ring with Rollins, Sheamus and Cesaro, the crowd was exhausted. They had just gone through an epic Royal Rumble match, which we're going to talk about momentarily. And all three of these competitors that were featured in this match, Rollins, Sheamus, and Cesaro, were all in that match immediately preceding it. While as Jason Jordan, the one guy who wasn't in the Royal Rumble, basically didn't wrestle in the match. So it was just strange. It didn't make a lot of sense. I thought it was really the down part of the entire show, which is really saying something. Because as much as you guys like to criticize me for complaining, BC occasionally for complaining, I enjoyed the hell out of this Royal Rumble, as we're going to get to right now. So that obviously brings us to the Men's Royal Rumble, 
Again, there were 18 participants that were already announced and 12 that ended up being quote-unquote surprises. Though in this particular case, most of them were not really much surprises and, and they were really just current WWE superstars and tag teams that they threw together. So I'm going to roll through these 12. And again, some of them are really good, but a lot of them are not. You had Rhino, got a nice ECW pop from the Philadelphia crowd. I was really expecting another ECW superstar whether Tommy Dream or Rob Van Dam or someone like that, but they just did not deliver that, unfortunately. Heath Slater, Andrade Cien Almas, and Adam Cole from NXT both showed up. Sheamus, Cesaro, Jinder Mahal, Seth Rollins, the Hurricane, Hurricane Helms, that was pretty cool. Rey Mysterio Jr. was the biggest, uh, you know, surprise of the entire night on either in either the men's or the women's match. And then you had Golda. So in this match, obviously, you had Shinsuke Nakamura, Going over, he became the first Asian superstar to win a Royal Rumble in history. Asuka, you know, a couple hours later became the second. And I know you're immediately going to send me a tweet. Hey, hey Adam, you know, the Silver King, what about Yokozuna? Yokozuna Samoan. Uh, you know, and, and he was billed from Polynesia. Not quite the billing of a, of a Japanese superstar, obviously, like Shinsuke Nakamura. So let's not necessarily take away from Shinsuke here in this spot. The final two of the match were Nakamura and Reigns, which was pretty a pretty interesting dynamic. It was pretty clear the crowd was not going to handle a Reigns victory no matter how much WWE has rehabbed him as of late. And WWE certainly, obviously, did the right thing, putting Nakamura over Reigns. Reigns looked really strong at the end of that match, which is what he needed to. But it's really strange that this guy like can never enter a Royal Rumble somewhat early. Him and John Cena, seemingly, are always entering this match late. And I understand that that's a spot that you put your stars and your veterans in, but let these guys work a little bit. It's not like Reigns really did that much else on the show. He didn't. Both these guys didn't have to come in, you know, after number 25. But you had John Cena in there exceedingly late. Andrade Cien Almas lasted a while. Adam Cole got a lot of shine. It was a really good match. The highlight of the match in terms of funny Royal Rumble-type moment was once again Kofi Kingston. They always seem, you know, to get creative with him. Jinder Mahal actually came in throughout Big E and Xavier Woods was pretty dominant and looked really strong in his featured spot. As he went to eliminate Kofi, Kofi flipped over the top rope, one foot landed on Xavier Woods so he didn't get eliminated. The New Day then slid a pile of pancakes under his foot, uh, Kingston's foot that is, and then kind of hoisted him back up into the ring over Mahal in like a cheerleader type move. I don't know exactly what it's specifically called. It was fantastic. The crowd really popped for it. And this is also reminding me to kind of go back to the women's match. Naomi pulled off her own Kofi Kingston-esque move. Uh, She got thrown over the top rope, landed on a bunch of women, was able to straddle kind of the barricade, walked around the barricade, kicked Maria Menounos out of her chair, and then put her feet on Maria's chair and hand-walked her way up to the steel steps to get back into the ring. Both very cool spots. Both what you expect from a Royal Rumble in WWE. And they executed it really nicely in both accounts. So Mysterio came in at 27. That was definitely a highlight of the match, as I mentioned. Nakamura actually entered at 14. So he got a nice good run as the eventual winner. And and he was able to eliminate, I think, three or four different people. uh, Looked strong throughout the match. Finn Balor, though, was really put over. He lasted 44 minutes in the Royal Rumble. He entered at number two, which, again, as I mentioned with the women, yes, people have won from the one and two spots. But generally, it doesn't happen. Putting Balor in at two at least gave him an opportunity to shine throughout the match and be a featured player. And if you're not going to have him win, that is obviously the second best case scenario. I would have liked to have him last later, 
maybe into a final two or final three with Roman Reigns. I thought he got eliminated a little too early uh, with John Cena staying in a little too late. But, you know, that's really picking nits. And ultimately, WWE, it's tough to admit this because, you know, we like crapping on them so much when they don't put the right people over. But what did they do tonight? They put over Asuka, um, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Finn Balor. And really, at some point, you got to give it up to them and say, good job. Now, what makes you wonder what, what they're thinking is, why would you pull Finn Balor from a main event spot with Brock Lesnar because he's quote-unquote not over, if you believe what Dave Meltzer was told Vince McMahon feels about Balor, and then put him into this Royal Rumble match and have him be such a big featured part that you're letting him kind of carry the show. It doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense in that regard. Um, Maybe it was just a pure booking decision and did not have to do with Vince thinking Balor couldn't handle a match with Lesnar. Ultimately, you know, I think we were right to criticize it at the time, but now in hindsight, it was good for him to get that spot. The hope now is that there is something planned for Balor heading into WrestleMania because if you have the two main titles taken up and it looks like there's a plan for the Intercontinental title that does not involve Finn Balor, what exactly is he going to do? Is it just going to be some type of six-man tag match with the rest of the Balor Club? Where are they going to go with him? I'm interested to see how that plays out. Hopefully he gets a featured spot in the Elimination Chamber. It was ultimately interesting to have the Royal Rumble, the Men's Royal Rumble, at that part in the show. And you can make an argument when you go back and look at it. They probably should have flipped the two and put the Women's Royal Rumble in the middle of the show. And the Men's at the end. The Men's Royal Rumble was a true A Royal Rumble. You could even make an argument for an A+, and I really would not criticize you for that. I would have flipped them. Obviously, the Ronda Rousey announcement and debut is why they put it in that spot, the women's match. But, you know, the the Men's Royal Rumble was special. It was booked extremely well. I thought they did a great job with it. So preceding that match was the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. You had the Usos defending against Shelton Benjamin and Chad Gable. And it was a really strange match. Uh, It was a two of three falls match. The Usos swept uh, Gable and Benjamin and they did it rather easily. Basically, every single thing that Gable and Benjamin threw at the Usos, they were able to kick out or get out of at some point early in the match. The Usos got a fall with hitting, I think, Gable with four super kicks, two standing and two with him on his knees for the first fall. And then, I don't know if it was a botched spot at the end of the match, but Uso had uh, Benjamin rolled up. Gable jumped from the top rope to try to break, break up a pinfall, missed, and the referee counted to three. So he either missed, and that was part of the storyline, and, and it was pretty... Unique, creative booking, I would say. But it kind of felt a little bit like a botch, uh, that there was a little bit of a surprise. Although there was not much of a delay with the theme music, now that I think back on it. So maybe it was not. And I'm just thinking about it a little too hard. Either way, it was a confusing match. It didn't, just like the other you know, tag team match, the Raw Tag Team Championship, I thought there was going to be a title change here. There was not, ultimately. It's maybe a good thing, because the Usos are definitely proving to be the best tag team in WWE and in all of professional wrestling and good for them for that being the case. But they're almost kind of running out of legitimate opponents on SmackDown right now. You really only have the Bludgeon Brothers that are left that they have not faced and they haven't even been on TV for a month. So that's a little bit of a confusing situation for me. The Royal Rumble actually opened with the WWE Championship match. And you know what? I hated it at first. I was actually criticizing it on Twitter. Uh, The joke I made, maybe it wasn't that funny, was, hey, they put the strap on Jinder Mahal for six months, and now the greatest title in pro wrestling history is opening the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. In hindsight, it made a lot of sense. It was a tremendous, pure wrestling match with a great storytelling from start to finish. 
basically by three of WWE's best in-ring performers in AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Long story short on this match, Owens and Zayn basically played the hot tag for most of the match. Every single time they got into a little bit of trouble, there was a tag, there were some comedy spots um, with Owens kind of rolling out of the ring, running around, running back into the ring right by his corner and then tagging Zayn. Uh, Styles really got put over strong, hitting all of his signature moves, except for, I think, the Styles clash on one or both of the guys throughout the match. A couple of phenomenal forearms. Ultimately, the end of the match was really creative as well, although it did leave some questions I'll get to briefly in a moment. Styles was had Sami Zayn in his arms, and Zayn was trying to go over him to hit Owens with a tag. Uh, the referee didn't see a tag, and there was not a tag, uh, but the referee almost allowed there to be one. Uh, AJ Styles basically threw Zayn out of the ring. Uh, Owens came back, I think, with a super kick, and he tried to hit him with a pop-up pop powerbomb. Styles reversed it, got the pinfall, and escaped with the title. Owens, after the match, was complaining that he was not the legal man, even though he attacked Styles, you know, as the illegal man. Um, but that was, you know, kind of funny in general. And then went backstage, and Owens and Zayn started complaining to Shane McMahon about it. Did you see that? Didn't you see that? Um, can't you at least agree that that was not fair? To which Shane McMahon replies, yep, smiles and walks away. It was That was interesting as well. It was a good backstage segment. It was just extremely strange that this entire storyline between AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn was pretty much built around Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan was not seen in that segment. Neither of them was down at the ring for the match. The only, two to the only time on the entire show that they were actually together was celebrating Shinsuke Nakamura's Royal Rumble win backstage in the face of Kurt Angle and Stephanie McMahon, the Raw Authority figures. And they were like smiling and happy and, and chummy chummy with another, one another. Like nothing had ever gone wrong. So it really leads one to wonder where they're going to be going with this angle once Tuesday night rolls around. Is everything okay now between Shane and Daniel Bryan? Uh, are Owens and Zayn going to start annoying Bryan so much because they got and wasted another opportunity? It just leaves a lot of things up in the air. And it definitely did not wrap up this storyline that we thought would either be wrapped up or at least advanced in some way. Instead, you have Owens and Zayn still complaining, Styles still is the champion, and we're kind of just left to wonder, you know, what's going to happen. So long story short, great for this pay-per-view. You know, right now off the top again, I haven't really given it much thought, just, you know, 1 a.m. on the East Coast. It was really close to an A. I'm going to probably go with a B-plus just because of the matches I mentioned, the two tag team matches and the Universal Championship match were underwhelming. But the truth is, if you have a Royal Rumble pay-per-view and the Men's Royal Rumble is an A, and the women's is a B plus, and you get the debut of Ronda Rousey and a tremendously wrestled match with AJ Styles, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. It's really hard not to give it a top grade. So definitely one of the better pay-per-views WWE has put on in the last few years. And it came on the back end of a pretty good NXT TakeOver Philadelphia pay-per-view that was not necessarily built up to be that big. And this one I'm going to run through much quicker. You had Velveteen Dream going over Cassius Ono in the first match of the card. Ono put Dream over extremely well. I don't need to say it again. Dream, in my opinion, future WWE World Heavyweight Champion. At some point, he probably has, and it would probably be smart to keep him in NXT for another two to three years, uh, at least two years. I think he has a lot of developing to do, but this guy is really special, extremely entertaining to watch. You had Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly defend and retain uh, their t NXT Tag Team Championships over the Authors of Pain. Basically, you know, a quick victory. There was no debut. There was no interference. Nothing that crazy. Um, certainly, the Authors of Pain 
look like they may be headed to the main roster in WWE. And if they're not, I don't necessarily know why they were involved in this match per se, but you know, let's, that, that's probably a conversation for another time when we have more time to talk about it. You had Ember Moon actually defending her title against Shayna Baszler, the NXT women's championship match. It really looked like a spot that Baszler was going to go over. Um, Moon basically rolled her up, got a victory. She was able to withstand an arm bar. Baszler worked on her arm for a while. Um, and, and Ember Moon was able to withstand it. And then ultimately after Moon got the sneak, sneak away victory, let's call it, Baszler attacked her on the ramp, choked her out. Uh, you know, that's definitely a rivalry that's going to continue probably all the way until NXT take over New Orleans, where maybe you get Baszler Moon and let's see if there's maybe some Ronda Rousey involvement. It's obvious that they're friends. You know, we'll see kind of how that plays out. You also had in, we'll call this the co-main event of the show, Aleister Black against Adam Cole in an Extreme Rules match. And on most other TakeOver pay-per-views, let's be honest, this would probably have been the match of the night. It was extremely entertaining. I was a little disappointed. I said so on Twitter that the Undisputed Era did not add another member to its team when they had an Extreme Rules match and an opportunity for someone to come and do that, help Cole win, and there'd be no consequences for it. That did not happen. Um, Certainly the rest of the Undisputed Era came in to try to, you know, hurt Aleister Black and take him out of the match. Sanity ran in, cleared them out of the way, gave Black the opportunity to hit Black Mass on Cole uh, and knock him out and win the match. It was a great match. Again, I'm not going to go through all the spots here because you can go watch it. It was fantastic. But what I am going to talk just a little bit more about is the main event. Andrade Cien Almas defending his title and retaining it against Johnny Gargano in arguably the best NXT match of all time. Undoubtedly a top five NXT match. I think I can say with 95% 95% certainty it's a top three NXT match. And I'll be honest, I think it was the best match of the entire weekend. WWE, NJPW combined. It's the early match of the year candidate. I am building this up right now. It sounds crazy. It is legitimately that good. They told a fantastic story from start to finish in this match. Gargano basically overcoming the odds time and again. Kicking out of Almas's great moves. Um, having, you know, basically having him pinned, you know, getting him in a situation where he was going to become the new NXT champion, only to have Zelina Vega interfere, take him out. Then you had Candice LeRae recently signed to NXT, who's also, she's also Johnny Gargano's wife, kind of taking Vega out of the situation. Uh, Gargano getting another opportunity uh, to pin Almas. I think he hit him with that springboard DDT, uh, wasn't able to get the cover there. And then the end of the match, it ended rather abruptly, but it made a lot of sense. Uh, Almas hit that double diving knee uh, into Gargano, into the ring post, knocking him out. Came back in the ring, hit him with his finisher, got the one, two, three. And then even after the match, after Johnny Gargano was unable to overcome his greatest obstacle, I believe Andrade Almas is now 3-0 and against Gargano, he still feels the pride uh, of you know his effort and his ability. His wife's there you know, propping him up. Everything seems great. And they're walking up the ramp. And you can make an argument that Gargano should have won the match. Uh, I definitely think he should have in that spot. Uh, You can make an argument that what transpired after here did not need to happen. I think it could have been saved for NXT. But you had Tommaso Ciampa come out just as the NXT logo, the copyright logo, and everything was showing on the screen and just drop Gargano one more time, this time with a crutch, um, you know, leaving the arena to booze as NXT went black and off the air. It was... A tremendous match from start to finish. I'm not going to go through every spot, as I said. It was extremely entertaining. You have to watch this match before the next edition of In This Corner 
because I guarantee you when Brian Campbell comes back from his cruise, uh, when well-dressed Nick Costas joins us, they are both going to want to talk about this. Again, as the greatest NXT match of all time, in my opinion, a definite top fiver, and the early 2018 match of the year. So guys and gals, thanks for sitting with me as I kind of ran through what went down this weekend in WWE. It was too important not to go over. And while the man whose name is on the marquee, his name's on the marquee for a reason. He runs this ship. I don't, but it was nice. Thanks for indulging me here. Glad I got to give you some insight. Now we move on to the interview that the Brian Campbell conducted with none other than WWE's newest inductees into the Hall of Fame for their 2018 class, the Dudley Boys. BC, take it away. CBS Sports proud to welcome in on the In This Corner podcast, Bubba Ray, Devon Dudley. And there's one thing you can testify about, that these two have reached pro wrestling immortality as inductees to the 2018 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. Guys, congratulations on on such an incredibly well-deserved honor. You join Goldberg in this star-studded class Friday, April 6th in New Orleans, WrestleMania 34 weekend. Uh, I'll start with you, Bubba. What's the best way you can really sum up what this means to you guys? Uh, Well, I mean, I think honored is one of the words that comes to mind. I think anybody who gets inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame has to be honored. Um, I'm proud of myself and Devon and what we were able to accomplish. Um, And it's a big deal in our industry to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame means that you're a, you know, you're in a select group and um, it's, it, it is a big deal. Uh, in the world of sports entertainment. Devon, about the timing. I mean, at what point do you get in the back of your head, hey, you know, we we could get this call. We deserve this. We have the right resume. When did that sort of click to you? I think the minute that we stepped into a WWE ring, (laughs) we always knew that one day we would get this call because, you know, Bubba and I have clicked on so many levels uh, when we got together, you know, starting from ECW and knew that we were a team to be reckoned with and that we could hang with the big boys if we ever got the opportunity to go to WWE uh, back then when we first started. And when we did get the opportunity to go, we just went from there. I mean, it was on, we were on fire. I mean, with us, Edge and Christian, the Hardys, I mean, making history was something that we just did every time we stepped in the ring. And at that point, you know, it was it was just no stopping us. We just knew that if the WWE would let us be us, we would be extremely, you know, good and and be able to accomplish exactly what we wanted to do, and that's be the best tag team in the history of the business. Well, I'm interested in that right there because you're certainly – the title of most decorated can't be argued, right? I mean, you go down, I think right now it's 18-time champions, unless I'm, unless I'm shortchanging you. But, but at some point along that way, the idea of you guys legitimately being in that conversation of greatest of all time became real. Like, it wasn't a numbers or longevity thing. You know, we as fans started to accept this. Is that something that's, you know, automatic for you guys because that was your goal? Or was there a point where that just became so humbling where you guys looked at each other and said, you know, this is real. We have, cro- we have entered that category. You know, teams like the Road Warriors, whoever's, whoever your favorites, on and on. I'm sure that was your goal, but when did that really become a real thing for you guys? Well, well the, number I, is, yeah. the number is 24. I mean, so just like factually, we are the most successful tag team 
um, in the history of the industry by winning 24 major world tag team championships. Um, as far as me and Yvonne legitimately being the greatest tag team of all time, I think in the world of sports entertainment and pro wrestling, the best or the greatest is really subjective. You can't argue that me and Devon are the most successful because we are, but I've always said that I'm just happy to be mentioned along with those other great teams, the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, the Arn and Tullys, the Heart Foundation, the Freebirds, all of those great tag teams that came before us. And now for people to say that we might be even bigger and better than them, it definitely is very flattering. But at the end of the day, me and Devon are quite humble. Um, we will never sit here and tell you we are the greatest of all time, unless, of course, the little red light is on on the camera. <laughs> then we'll tell you that we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> exactly. You know, we, we're just we're picking up, and we always said this, we're picking up where the Road Warriors, you know, and, and other great tag teams have left off. You know, we watched tag team wrestling growing up. We idolized it. And we studied it. And it shows from the first time Bubba and I got in that ring and became a tag team. You know, we, we knew what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And the great thing about us is that we didn't take no for an answer. We just went out there and, and did it when other people didn't think we could. And that was, I think, the biggest thing that Bubba and I um, had to face in our career. Because back in ECW, you know, we weren't really supposed to be an act to be reckoned with. You know, we were considered as a joke at one point. Bubba was stuttering. You know, I'm, you know, we've got like nine other Dudleys coming from all different places. <laughs> you know, it was like a ha-ha moment. And then when me and Bubba got together, that ha-ha moment became real and it became serious. And that was when the people started taking us serious because of what we were doing in the ring and the commotion and the chaos we were causing. I want to talk about the chemistry here. Why this tag team has been able to have this kind of success. You know, what, what's the secret for the two of you? I mean, your longevity alone, like I mentioned, is, you know, Hall of Fame historic worthy. But most guys can't stay together that long and A, get along, and B, you know, command that type of love from the fans year after year. How has it worked for you guys? I think the word is unselfish. Um me and Devon's physical chemistry in the ring is one thing, but the real success of our chemistry is because we were both unselfish and we were very comfortable sharing the spotlight. We knew how val valuable we were to each other. We knew what we had created in the Dudley Boys and Team 3D. Um, we created a tag team that was known all around the world. Um, and we did everything that we could possibly do with it until we could do no more. Um, as far as chemistry in the ring, me and Devon didn't start out as a team. We started out against each other. But in fighting each other and having these wars, we realized real quick, well, hell, if we're this good against each other, how great could we be together? And honestly, from the very first night, me and Devon hit our very first 3D on the Sandman in the ECW arena. We knew. I love it. I love it. Devon, an extension of that question is, is I think fans would be very interesting in knowing how you guys met. Tell you, know, what's that story the first time you, you sort of locked eyes and, and, you know, summed each other up? Well, we're brothers. 
from different mo- from different mothers. That's how we're brothers. <laughs> it's always been we, like we have we have the same father and different mothers. Haven't you been listening yeah. for the past twenty five years? How dare I? I mean, I don't know what rock you've been living under, but I mean, again, <laughs> brothers. I, I that I mean, I, I got a lot of respect for you, but if you don't know by now that the Dudley boys are brothers with different mothers, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Very fair, very very well done. But uh, was the I don't know. We we talked about how good that chemistry was. Was it instantaneous the first time you did work together? It it, it really I think was. It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but go ahead, Devon. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I think it was. I mean, like I said before earlier, Bubba and I were on the same page. You know, where we would do something and we would want to make it better. It might have been good, but we wanted to make it better. We wanted to make it great. And that's the one thing. We never settled. Mm-hmm. When you settled and you become complacent, that's when things don't – that's when you can't even remotely try to be the greatest. You have to go beyond that. And me and Bubba have always tried to outdo what we did every time we stepped in that ring. And I think that showed in our work. That was why we were so good together, because we were both on the same page and wanted that. If there was a mess up of any sort in that ring, we would go back to the drawing board and see how we could make it better. We just wouldn't go, okay, well, we'll do better next time. No, we would sit there and analyze it and see how we could make it better and how those mistakes wouldn't be done again. That's what we did. And I think, again, it showed in our work and how we were. And being able to uh, be on the same page, it's very important the tag teams to do that animal and hawk were a great example which is why they were together for so long because they were always on the same page animal knew what animal had to do hawk knew what he had to do and their roles of of, of being the road warriors well the w's were the same way and when you can get that chemistry when you can get that bond when you can get something like that to you know be as one sky's the limit who were your tag team influences in that regard when it comes to, you know, both chemistry and philosophy and how you guys worked in the ring? I don't really think that me and Devon uh, ever looked at one particular team. We just knew what we needed to do to make us special um, and make us successful. The very, very, very first thing we knew that we needed was a tag team finish. And this tag team finish had to be different and new and unique and be able to hit out of nowhere. And that's, you know, when we invented the 3D, the Dudley Death Drop, which I'm proud to say is probably up there amongst the greatest finishes of all time. Um, And and that's what gave us um, a uniqueness. And that's what set us apart from the rest. My influences as a young kid, you know, were the Wild Samoans and Korea and Martell and the Strongbows and all of those great tag teams from late 70s uh, WWF tag team wrestling. Uh, and I knew, always knew that I wanted to be a part of a tag team because I thought four guys could be more entertaining than two. Me and Devon never sat there and said, hey, we want to be like the Road Warriors or we want to be like this guy. We wanted to be the first version of the Dudleys, and we were. Love it, love it. And the, 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 the thing about it is, you know, coming up with 3D, our little brother, poor Spike, had to be the guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> and, and receiving different ways of uh, hitting 3D. So, you know, again, I like to go out there and apologize to Spike because Lord knows not only did we beat him up 
uh, outside of the ring, but we beat the hell out of them inside the ring as well. Oh, nobody took a bump like Spike, but this is a natural transition here. I mean, you guys are going in as a tag team, but obviously this started as a faction, as a family in ECW. So, you know, even though, let's say, Paul Roma and Steve McMichael had minor roles in the history of the Four Horsemen going in the Hall of Fame, they still, you know, made a mark. They were part of that. For you guys, how important were the contributions of some of these original guys? Spike Dudley, Big Dick, Dances with Dudley, Sign Guy Dudley, Dudley Dudley, on and on and on. How big of a role or important was that to sort of establish you guys to get to the point where you are now? Well, listen, a lot of those guys came before us and they were important to the, the initial characters of the Dudley boys. And, you know, me and Devon being a part of that family, um, there was just something different and special about me and Devon. And I'm, we don't say that with ego. We say that out of fact. We knew early on that it was it was us that were was getting the job done and making the mark. Now, other than me and Devon, you really got to give a lot of credit to Spike because Spike was instrumental in helping me and Devon get to where we were. Because we, like Devon said earlier, we beat the piss out of Spike for years and years and years, and you can't just get over by yourself. You need somebody to help get you over, and Spike helped get us over by taking all of those beatings in ECW. And then when Spike came up to the WWE, he took some more beatings from us. So when you think of the W boys, obviously you think of Bubba and Devon first, but Spike definitely is in the outskirts of the conversation. I like that. I like the respect being shown there. Uh, a cool thing about, look, you're going to have some cool moments, right, from this bi- this being announced to walking on stage at the Hall of Fame. But I'm sure nothing was better than getting that call. So what is your specific story on how you guys found out about this? Well, I was uh, I was in Abu Dhabi because uh, I'm, I'm now a producer for WWE working backstage. And uh, we were on a live event for Roar. And I was in Abu Dhabi when I got the phone call. Uh, at about 12 in the morning and uh, being told that I was in uh, going in the bubble going into the Hall of Fame. So it was uh, it was uh, it was an honor. It was uh, it was something that, you know, I didn't know that was going to come so fast. Um, but at the same token, I knew eventually it would happen. But, you know, again, I was I was honored and taken uh taken back by it because again I, I was never really at the point where I thought I was ready to just get to that point where being in the Hall of Fame because to me when you're in the Hall of Fame that means you're done and you're finished and you know that's it and I do know that there's always a little bit left in the tank but you know so many Hall of Fame guys have been able to not only go into the Hall of Fame but still get their feet wet in the ring here and there. So, again, I was very honored and, and, and you know, just very happy uh, to be able to get that phone call. And, uh, you know, when I got back uh, to the States, you know, thanking WWE and thanking everybody for making that happen. I was, I was actually at the Team 3D Academy uh, at our location in Danbury, Connecticut, uh, training students when I got the call. And uh, got the call from Talent Relations from Mark Carano and said, hey, man, we want to put the Hall of Fame. I said, thanks. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> What's with the no-sell? Come on. That's a no-sell right there. 
it, it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm serious. And the reason I'm serious is me and Devon have been hearing for so long from so many people. When are you going in the Hall of Fame? When are you going in the Hall of Fame? When are you going in the Hall of Fame? We've, people have almost programmed us to just expect it. And when you sit back and you look at your accomplishments, you don't look at it, you know, in an egotistical manner or with bravado. You kind of look back at it and go, yeah, this is what we did. Most likely we're eventually going to get the call. So I don't think me and Devon were shocked that we got the call, but we were definitely no. honored that we got the call. Absolutely. You guys have such a great history of, of you know, extreme, innovative matches. I mean, you know, it, it, would, it should be in the first sentence uh, uh, of your legacy, the great triple threat TLC match with the Hardys and Edge and Christian at WrestleMania X7 as just an example. But what do you think specifically is the legacy of the Dudley Boys? The legacy of the Dudley Boys is really the last of the Mohicans. We are the last legitimate great tag team that you most likely will ever see. The most old school, uh, you know, tag team that there is. I don't think you'll ever see another tag team go on to accomplish what we've accomplished, whether that's in the WWE or any place else. Uh, we really are the last of many, many generations of great tag teams. Um, and when you think of our legacy from the fans' point of view, I hope that they just can always sit back and say whether we loved those guys or we hated those guys, those guys always worked their asses off to entertain us. And from a fellow wrestler point of view, I just hope the guys sit back and go, you know what, sometimes the Dudleys were great to work with, sometimes they were a pain in the ass to work with, but we always made money with them and we always tore the house down. You know, in talking to um, Edge and Christian, you know, it, it's just amazing how, you know, we did those TLC matches almost 15 years ago, and people still remember it as if it was yesterday. I mean, you've created so much history with those matches, and, you know, each time we did it, you know, we made them better. And to be able to go into WrestleMania and still the show two years in a row with so many great guys that were on that card, you know, that's a testament to how good those matches were and how legendary they were. So, you know, Edging Christian, the Dudleys, the Hardys, you know, we could not have done it without each other. And being able to create history like that, you know, just proved how good and, and how determined we were to be the best uh, at what we did. And we, and we did it. So, you know, I'm just, I'm very honored and privileged to have been in the ring with those guys. And, you know, just Bubba and I having the success that we've had, even after we were done with those programs with those guys and they continue to make history, it's just our legacy will go on no matter what. It's going to be very hard for any other tag team to try to come into this business and to try to create or even surpass what Bubba and I have done. You know, we, we mentioned the Hardys, we mentioned Eds and Christian, and they could very well be the answer to this. But is there a team above all that should specifically go down as your definitive rivals, you know, even if it's just based on how much fun and chemistry you had with them? It, I mean, it, it really is the Hardys and Edge and Christian. But if we had to narrow it down to one, it would probably be the Hardys. 
because at the Royal Rumble 2000 is where the Hardys and the Dudleys had the first ever tag team tables match. And that was the first match that helped me and Devon put ourselves on the map in the WWE. Um, the Hardys had had success with Edge and Christian in the latter matches before we got around. So we had, I believe, more just a slight, uh, a slight more, uh, not chemistry, but the Hardys meant a little bit more to the Dudleys as far as helping us move forward. Because if you look at history, even once we left the WWE, in some way, shape or form, the Hardy and Dudley feud continued. Whether that was me and Jeff Hardy in TNA or me and Devon versus the Hardys in TNA or any of the stuff that me and Matt did, you know, overseas, the Hardys and the Dudleys have always been synonymous. So I believe it would be them. And I guess one of the biggest ones I think I don't ever want to forget because without this person, <laughs> I don't think the Dudleys would have been, uh, I, I say, as big with tables as Mae Young. I mean, Mae Young, after putting her through a table, I mean, forget it. I mean, who else goes around taking an 80-year-old woman and popping up on somebody's shoulders to only put her through the table and then to do it a second time, you know, uh, off the stage? I mean, uh, Mae Young, in, in my opinion, is the toughest wrestler, male or female, that ever set foot in the WWE ring. And, uh, you know, again, much respect. May she rest in peace. But... My God, May Young definitely helped us as well. All right, that I want to get right on that. You know, we, we just had Raw 25. We talk about some of the greatest moments in Raw history. March 13th, 2000, May Young off the stage, powerbomb through a table. Uh, Bubba Ray, your eyes, that, you know, that zoom in on your eyes is, is, you know, as iconic a moment as your tag team maybe has ever had. So talk to me about working with May. Uh, how nervous are you? What are the conversations like beforehand? Because the impact of that moment, you can't even put words onto it. I've done plenty of interviews in the past where I've told people exactly how it went down. The first time we ever laid our hands on May is when we slammed her in the middle of the ring and uh, we gave her the what's up headbutt off the top rope. And I remember when I slammed May, I put her down very gingerly and made sure I took care of her as you would an 80-year-old woman or somebody in the business as long as she has been deserves. And once the segment was over and we got into the back, that lady walked right up to me. She grabbed me by the wrist as hard as she could, looked me in the eyes and said, hey, hot shot, if you're going to slam me, you slam me like one of the boys. And right then and there, I knew I was dealing with an old school, grizzled veteran. Like she wasn't, she wasn't trying to, you know, play the role. Not that an 80 year old woman would have to, she was being legitimate. This lady's been a wrestler for close to 60 years. And she's telling me, you don't have to take it with easy with me. Let's do this and let's do this the right way. And then, so then when you watch us put her through a table the first time in the ring or the super bomb off the stage the second time, we had no, I had no fear because I knew May was all in on the spot and she wanted to do it and she wanted to help get us over. And I witnessed the lady with my own eyes tell Vince McMahon that she wanted us to super bomb her off the top of the steel cage. That's, that's <laughs> ridiculous. That is try to, okay. From what you know about meeting her, 
why? Why is she, why is she that committed to, to providing that type of moment that, at that age? <laughs> crazy um, might I, be I, one I, of them. Yeah, crazy, <laughs> but whenever May would whenever May would talk about this stuff, she'd always have a giant smile on her face. I think yeah. she was having fun because you know when you think of May Young, May Young's name really did not get popular until she had come back to the WWE and we she did her bit, you know, did the relationship with Mark Henry and then did she did what she did with the W. So May kind of was in the shadows and was, you know, kind of was in the fabulous moulage shadows for so long that I think at 80 years old, she was finally getting her chance to shine and she was enjoying every last bit of it. And I think the key word is fun. What Papa said, she was having fun. You know, people ask us, how the hell did you be able to take the punishment that you took in ECW? Well, we were having fun. The Dudleys were having fun. Listen, when the camera stopped rolling and Bubba and I were in our hotel rooms, did we feel the pain? Absolutely. But when we were about to go through that curtain, and when we did go through the curtain, when we got in that ring, we didn't feel it. We were going out there entertaining, and we were having fun. And even though every chair shot, every every uh, table bump, every thumbtack, whatever we did, that was crazy in ECW. Although it would have killed the lesser man, it to us it just it drove us. It drove us to not only be the best, but to continue doing what we're doing, and that was entertaining people. But again, the key word, just having fun. No doubt about it. And I think that's what happened. And that's what happened. And that's I believe was May. She was having fun. Even though you guys accomplished so much more after leaving ECW, you going in, you know, it's a victory for the lineage and the history of ECW. You guys will represent ECW. I've never had a better time than a ECW house show in a bar in New Britain, Connecticut in 1998. I tell everybody it's my famous favorite story. <laughs> Unless you were there, you just don't know how raw and real and out of control that was. How proud are you guys to bring ECW with you into the Hall of Fame? It probably means uh, more to me than anything else. Um, yes, going into the Hall of Fame, uh, the WWE Hall of Fame is cool, but being the first original act ever created in ECW is really a big deal. ECW meant so much to us, and it meant so much to wrestling fans. And to me, that is... Um, it's a great honor to represent a company that revolutionized and changed the wrestling business. Uh, I always said that ECW was the Napster of the wrestling business. Napster may have went out of business, but it changed the way people listen to music. ECW went out of business, but it changed professional wrestling forever. And there's a reason why people still chant ECW. They don't chant WCW, they don't chant NWA, they don't chant AWA. They chant ECW because it's a product and a promotion that gave them what they want and did it their way. And that's how me and Devon did it. We did it our way. I'm not talking about the Frank Sinatra version of my way. I'm talking about the Sex Pistols version of my way. And I don't think anybody out there can deny that the Attitude Era wasn't an influence of ECW. 
Very true. Very true. And, you know, Paul Heyman is a big part of that legacy. And how much do you guys give credit to him for the success you've had? Well, listen, Paul, Paul is the guy that allowed me and Devon to form as a team. I'll never forget the night that I went up to Paul and I said, listen, Bubba Ray as a baby face is just not working anymore. Me and Devon have tremendous chemistry. What if you let us try to do something together? And he looked at me, he put his pencil down and he said, okay, let's give it a try. So he rolled the dice on an act that was never planned to be successful. It's not like me and Devon were put together with this big story in place and we're going to push these guys to the moon and we got all these big plans for them. That never happened with me and Devon. Me and Devon just always did it our way and forced people to notice us, forced promotions and promoters to notice us and have to book us into certain situations. And you guys contributed so much from your legendary catchphrases that we still pop for. Was up, testify, Devon, get the tables and all of that. And to close, guys, when you stand up there and you get inducted into the hall and you have your moment and you stand out in front of the crowd, is there going to be a time you'll reference back in your head? You'll think back to how hard it was in the beginning or what do you think your emotions will be, whether, whether emotional or not, in, in that time frame when you get there? Well, I know, you know, me getting to where I am, you know, a kid from Brooklyn, New York, born in the projects, and my mother had me as a teenager with no father and my grandmother being the fist of that family to hold us together. The emotions, you know, are overwhelming for me because knowing that statistically I wasn't supposed to be as successful as I was. And I proved everybody wrong who said that it wouldn't happen. You know, people dream. They dream all the time. But it's you, the individual, making that dream come true. And there was no one that was going to stand in my way to be able to stop me from telling me that I wasn't going to be one of the best wrestlers that I could be and give it my all. And again, for a kid to come out of Brooklyn and the projects and and to go through what I went through and working five jobs and taking care of my twin boys and my wife at the time, the struggles that they went through leading up to all of that, you know, you can't, you just can't, you couldn't make it all up if you tried. You know, the success that came out of that, it's, it's to me, just, it's overwhelming how sometimes I do just sit back and, and, and kind of my eyes tear up because of the fact knowing the hell and what I put my body through and everything that I put my family through to get to where I am today to be successful, you know, I, I can only thank God because without him in my corner guiding me through it, I don't think I would have been able to be as successful as I was with Bubba. And again, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to go into this Hall of Fame knowing that all the hard work, all the determination, and all of those people that said that I couldn't do it, they're all sitting back with their mouths wide open talking about he did it. As far as I'm concerned, I, I'm going to stand there and I'm just going to soak it all in. And, you know, like Devon said, you know, uh, I'll be thanking God, too, because uh, 
God is the one that is taking care of me and Yvonne physically. You don't put your body through what we have put it through over the past 25 years and just walk away. And that's what we've been able to do. We've just walked away. So there, there are plenty of people that deserve uh, thanks and helping us get to where we are. But I'm going to really soak in that moment because this moment will only happen once. And I remember right before we went through the curtain at TLC 2 in the Houston Astrodome, our time had got cut from like 25 minutes to, I don't know, 18 minutes or something like that. And I turned to the rest of the guys and I said, no matter what, when you go out on that stage, take a second to smell the roses because we belong here. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm sure Devon's going to do that too. I'm going to take a second to smell those roses because um, I'm quite proud of the accomplishments of two guys that nobody thought would ever get there. Bubba yep. Ray, Devon, congratulations. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and look forward to seeing you there Friday, April 6th in New Orleans, WrestleMania 34 weekend at the Hall of Fame. Well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you very much. Adam, the Dudley boys, so incredibly deserving. And by the way, again, special thanks to them for giving us that much time to chat. Going into the hall after Goldberg here in this class of 2018, I think they're one of those teams, one of those superstars here where you start doing the math and looking at just how long their longevity is, just how many titles they've accomplished, just how long they stayed relevant and reinvented themselves. It kind of like... I know they're a Hall of Fame team, but you do have to start to go. Are they an, among that very two, three greatest teams in history? So it's fine for me that they wanted to be humble about it. Um, and I don't think you necessarily prompted them and said, hey, you guys are the greatest tag team of all time. In my opinion, they are. Um, there's a lot that the Legion of Doom certainly accomplished. In terms of modern tag team wrestling, I don't want to say they popularized it, but they made it cool to be a tag team, in my opinion, the Legion of Doom. The Dudley boys said you can make a career out of being a tag team and have crowds react to you the way they do top singles performers. We just discussed uh, last week the 2015 Royal Rumble where Bubba Ray was the surprise entrant, I think, at number three or something like that. The pop that he got from that Philadelphia crowd was tremendous. And to me, what that says is, you know, not only is he completely over, if Devon was in that spot. It may not have been exactly as big because we all know, I don't want to say A-side, B-side, but Bubba's was a little bit, you know. <laughs> let's, little, be, let's be fair. Let, let's be honest. We know who the guy delivering the 3D and the power bombs is. And we know the one guy who had the solo success on top of TNA, right? Correct. Who, who had that ability. So, so it, it just, but still, if Devon was in that spot, he would have gotten a massive reaction as well. And fans really do pop for Devon too. So it just goes to show how really great they are as a tag team. And again, me, Greatest tag team of all time, and it's kind of our pleasure, not that we're inducting them, but that we got to make this announcement. Oh, no question about it. I mean, uh, me being an old ECW head, like, they are ECW. They literally yeah. are. And to hear Bubba Ray essentially go, and it, and it got me thinking, go, you know, we're the first homegrown team yeah. to get that. And it's like off the top of your head, you're like, wow, you know, Foley, Austin had, you know, decent-sized cups of coffee in ECW. But these guys really are the first of that group. We don't know eventually if – 
Tommy Dreamer, Sabu, Rob Van Dam will get in the Hall of Fame. You, know, you assume there's a good chance for at least one or two of those guys, you know, Raven, anyone else in that category. But wow, these guys are more, these guys in my mind are more ECW than they even are WWE. Now, right. that's maybe for me, for the times I came in and out as a fan, the best work of their career was really the TLC stretch yeah. they had in WWE. But the heart and soul of who they were to me was the tie-dye shirts in, in ECW. And I referenced to them that house show I was at. I didn't get a chance to spit out. They, this, I'm inside of a bar in New Britain, Connecticut in 1998. The ceiling's so low you couldn't do moves off the top rope. And they, that was back when they would go and antagonize people in the crowd. And Bubba Ray told off this guy's girlfriend at a vile level that could never <laughs> be repeated. And the guy, rightfully so, because he had to, tried to jump the fence. And Bubba called him on, and Bubba was ready to take him out. And it's like, that was what I was referencing there. If you weren't there, you didn't know how nasty ECW really was. And these guys, to me, as much as anyone else might be, if you're putting one face... Yeah. That next to the brand and Paul Heyman on, on, well, on Paul, some, yeah, Paul's. You one. know, Paul yeah. is one. Paul is the you know for many reasons there, but for superstars, I mean, I may have liked Sabu more, but this this was ECW, this team heart and soul. So for me, so let's talk about ECW just briefly here. So for me, Paul he gets in, Joey Styles gets in because he, he probably needs to, uh, you know, at some point, not immediately. I but wouldn't have th- down throw, the line. throwing it out quickly, but yeah, down the line. I could for me, that. all right, I, I just, it's my opinion that he should be in, but maybe he's not a definite. Paul is a definite, okay? I think Rob Van Dam's a definite. He was WWE champion. Because that's what you have to consider. The WWE run was strong. And I think Tommy Dreamer, legendary status, and he had maybe the longest WWE run outside the Dudley Boys of any wrestler coming from there. Um, that had a major established ECW background, and he was obviously the ECW singles competitor. I think those are your only no-doubters. Am I, I mean, missing fu- anyone? Terry Funk's already in, obviously, for, from, from a much longer career. Uh, yeah, that's probably... You know, I think Sabu has a shot. Well, you know, his WWE run was not long. He no. did get a... You know, he did, did have a few to see on Big Show. He did get a run there. You think Taz gets him? That is that is the other guy who might deserve it. But again, very short WWE run that did not live up to his ECW. And where at least with the Dudleys, they went on to do more in WWE than they did. But he was also a very good announcer in WWE on SmackDown. That that's something that could play into extra the, credit. Even though I don't think right now he's on perfect levels with the company, you know. And isn't maybe not, and maybe we can ask him about that sometime soon. The, he is a member of the CBS Sports. That family. is very true. But I liked at least how how it did make you start to think. This is going to the beginning, be the beginning of the ECW guys getting their due. The guys who really made their name there above anyone else. But you know, shout out to their longevity, and uh, shout out to the fun May Young stories. You know, because yeah. that was a big big part of their career, as was Edge and Christian, and I love the respect they give to all of them. Well, the detail and background they gave us on that, I thought, was fantastic. Here's one other interesting thing. So, we're, we're talking, obviously, just after this announcement of the Dudley Boys. The first two members of WWE's 2018 Hall of Fame class, WCW guy, <laughs> ECW guy. <laughs> wow. Like, Vince is allowing that to... I mean, less. the Dudleys really did get super-duper famous in WWE. I think the difference is that the WWE now owns the history sure, of those two. but so let's be honest where these guys are coming from. I mean, that's why WWE recognizes 18 title reigns for the Dudley Boys. And if you count it up, that's ECW, the one time they won it in WCW and WWE. And they weren't in WCW. They won the right. WCW titles. They don't count the TNA, NJPW, and all that. But, right. by the way... One of these days, WWE, can you pay the money and buy the TNA library? Because <laughs> I really want to go back and see some of that. And yeah. it's, it's on the level of some other things that are on the network. Well, I think so, it just, you know? it's just a matter of impact closing at some point. It <laughs> and, is. And, it is. You know, it is. That's not, I mean, listen, maybe they, maybe with their new 
formation, something's going to happen over there. But, I mean, look, you can't get me to watch that. And, uh, and it was where they almost were sort of dismissive of some of those guys in the original faction. You know, I mean, there's there's a bizarre group, almost an oddities level group of that original Dudley Brothers faction, you know, sign guy Dudley and stud Dudley and all those. But I loved I was I thought it was interesting how dismissive they were of the impact of those guys. But then I equally respected the respect they gave to Spike Dudley, who who certainly sold out for them. I I didn't take it as dismissive as much as I, I did. Look, in their legacy, how much of a role did those guys actually play? Relatively minor. So. You know, you mentioned them. They didn't need to. They felt that they needed to expand on Spike, and and for good reason. One thing they didn't talk about is I was curious if they not forced Vince's hand to get Spike in, but how that kind of transpired. And that's not a guy that Vince signs. You know what I mean? Like that's not a guy who goes certainly. Hey, not. you know who we need? Spike Dudley in WWE. No, he doesn't do that. So I'm kind of curious how that transpired. But maybe that's just another story for another time. Absolutely. But Spike, you got to give you got to give that guy credit. Absolutely. What he was willing to do as the oldest Dudley uh, brother there, what he was willing to do. But Adam, we uh, we broke down what the Dudleys did, but we can't leave this podcast without breaking down the quote unquote major sports announcement. <laughs> That happened here during Royal Rumble week when Vince McMahon did, in fact, reboot XFL for 2020. A lot of ways we can go with this and a lot of angles. I want to start off by saying this. It was very underwhelming, the presentation, in my opinion, because Vince was a little bit annoyed. Vince was not fired up. Vince, I know he's 72, but he was not fired up. I'm taking down the NFL Vince. And maybe that's the reason why I felt an under underwhelming vibe because when he launched it in 2001, it was all about, we need to be different from the NFL. We need to be extreme and we need to be out of control. And I'm coming from the attitude era and I'm 55 years old and I'm this rebel, right? Vince in not in 2001 or 2000 when they announced it or whatever was a rebel. Yes. Vince in 2018 is a publicly traded company owning billionaire 72 hardcore conservative who really presented this in almost a as a boring alternative. Not an exciting alternative, a boring one. That was kind of bizarre. Well, yeah, I mean, they, I, I wrote in the story that we published on CBSSports.com, by the way, uh, first. Um, I'll give myself a little Barry Horowitz there for that. Um, you know, what I published there is what they did in, two, in 1999 was when it was founded in 2001 was the first year. That doesn't fly in 2018. Not even a, a slim part of that would fly. So they had to make a decision. And, and he used the term family-friendly. But do they go in a direction of, okay, this is going to be about football and we're just not going to care about all the other stuff, which is the direction they're going? Mm-hmm. Or do they try to say, hey, we're going to be tougher, we're going to be hardcore, but we're still going to be safe, which is a very tough sell with CTE and the concussion lawsuit going on in WWE. True. And it might be a separate entity, but look, WWE's PR team put that stuff out. WWE's video team hosted it. <laughs> I mean, wrestlers were still tweeting hashtag XFL2020. Yeah, so it can be separate, but it's not completely separate. So, uh, look, we can get into the segregation in a second. It sounds like uh, I don't believe it one bit. But about like, okay, so 2018, I get that. I don't expect him to come out and say, we're going to bash each other's brains. You can't do that, right? But uh, there was just no presentation of fun, though. And if you were going to present an alternative, Something needs to be spicy. Yeah. Something you can't present a basic or vanilla alternative. Something needs to be spicy. So, uh, you know, not to get political, but it was almost like it was so far conservative. People calling the presentation was almost MAGA like, but it was like so much like it, nobody with an arrest will, f- you know, step on this. Well, the logo was literally red, white, and blue, which is not. And now, granted, MLB, NBA, like true. That's MLS. That is pretty standard in terms of colored logos. But 
come and NFL. But come on, like you were the black, red, and white. Why couldn't exactly. you at least stay with that? So I'm not saying this meaning he should have been either side of the political line. I just felt like he was so conservative in when you're doing this. And here's the thing, like, okay, I get if somebody's got a really bad arrest record, yes, you don't want to employ them. But you need excitement. You need guys who aren't in the NFL who can plug excitement into your thing. So to be so steadfast, outspoken against taking a knee and things like that and just setting that now, if you want to handle that behind the scenes and, and draw your own rules, but on day one to handle that, then that means you but are... But he's answering questions, though. True. Posted by the media. But that means you're essentially appealing to a certain group and almost cutting off a certain group rather than having the look that says... We're going to be all about fun. It's going to be a new kind of fun, but we're going to be all about fun. So let's do it. I just felt like there was a little bit of like, uh, I don't know, like here, like country here, club. So here's the difference. That. So here's the difference between this incarnation of the XFL, aside from the actual rules and all that stuff, the announcements and the last one. The last one, they said, these are the rules. It's going to be smash mouth. It's going to be this. We're going to go inside the cheerleader locker rooms. We're going to do right. this. We're going to have an opening scramble, million dollar game. Like they just set out. This is what it's going to be. And one of the biggest problems with the initial XFL, and to Vince's credit, he seems to have learned his lesson here, is he said, like, they set, they set forth initially, this is what this league is going to be. They rushed it into fruition without a full offseason mm-hmm. of practices. And then they changed the rules as the year was going on. What he's saying now is, guys, and ladies and gentlemen, all we're announcing is that we're going to bring the XFL back. That here's the general outline of it. We're going to research and do this right. What you may want to say is, well, maybe you should have held this announcement for three months. I'm with you. That. know, and, and come up with some of those things and then done it. But it seems like they want the research to be public. They want to post polls, have surveys, and really interact with fans. So that's what I think the difference is. And I understand why you're giving it a negative connotation. It might wind up being positive. But I think there's going to be a lot of other things that decide whether this XFL is going to be a success. I think the question here, BC, really is, do you think this is going to work this time around? No. No, I don't. I, I, mean, I really don't. You know, <laughs> That's I mean, a full it, no sell. I mean, we, we have a lot to talk about this about WWE, but just about pure football? No, I just don't think this is going to work. You know, And it, and it kind of echoes back to what I'm saying about like the climate of football. He thinks he has an in on football, right, with the collective bargaining agreement, right. probably a big part of it with that. You know, Maybe they'll go on strike, and this can be a UFCFL part two. I just think, again, it comes down to when you're presenting – minor league football and you're presenting it as a professional alternative and you don't have great bells and whistles. Now it's early in that. Yeah. They could come out, you know, instead of a goalpost, have some circle you kick it through. I mean, it could be like wacky stuff we never heard of, but if you don't have that wacky stuff or you're not willing to let a Kaepernick and a, and a Johnny Heisman be the face of your league, then why are we going to watch yeah. that? I thought it was really silly to come out right off the bat and be like, Oh yeah, no Manziel, He wouldn't be in our league. You would jump over, you know, as many people as you possibly could to get Johnny Manziel as a number one dra- overall draft pick and a quarterback in your league. Like, give me a break, Vince. You want Johnny Manziel. He, d- he didn't kill anyone. All right. He d- you know, he, I, I, from, what I, from what I remember or off the top of my head, I don't know his rap sheet exactly, but I don't think his crimes are like sexual assault or no, you know, and, murder and, and, or anything like that. Look, so give me a break. This is the difference between, you know, we're talking about the difference between the timing. You know, could football work now where a secondary league where it couldn't work? I think the topic is really the difference of Vince, okay? Because, you know, I was at a Christmas Eve party this year, and you know what everybody that was over the age of 50 was talking about at that party? They were talking about kneeling in the, in the NFL and that national anthem and, and all this stuff, and that was all they cared about. And this is now 72-year-old Vince where he almost made the announcement more about that 
by how he fielded questions and his answers than about, hey, guys, we're going to have a really fun new product. And I know there was some good teases there about how they're going to change things technology. And let's not forget the XFL did have an impact the first time around in certain technological advancements that even the NFL took over. But it just I just felt it was overwhelming overall from just a football sense. It does lead you to kind of go like, how – I don't, how maniacal is Vince that if he so badly wants to fix that hole on his resume or he just so badly, you know, not that I, not that he needs to retire, but is so focused on needing something to go after that he really, really believes he can make this work in an area where no one's competed with the NFL for long stretches. To his credit, I mean, he sold 3.34 million shares of stock and put a hundred is funding this with a hundred million dollars of his own, literally his own money, not he didn't take money out of WWE. He literally sold his own stock in the company um, to do this. So I think there's something to be said for that and commended for that. I thought it was really funny in the, uh, whatever you want to call it, media call, that he was asked about Donald Trump. And he's like, oh, no, there's no, uh, there's no affiliation here. I guarantee you yes. at some point, if he's still president in 2020, that Donald Trump sends a tweet out. Oh, I'm, well so excited. I'm so excited for my friend Vince McMahon's new XFL. Absolutely. You're not going to have to worry about protests here. I guarantee it. This, I this guarantee league's it. about America. You know, like, there's no question yes. about that. Yes. And, then, and by the way, the, the highlight of the call was at the end when somebody asked him if he asked Linda for, you know, her advice <laughs> in this decision. I mean, do you know how many outs he could have gotten out of, of that? Course. Like, and instead, it's just, no. Like, like, oh, what are you kidding me? I, you know, ask my wife for advice. Like, what are you kidding? So, so let's actually get to your questions that were on the call. That you, I think they went to you second or third. So thanks, XFL and Alpha Entertainment. By the way, I like that Alpha Entertainment logo. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but thanks to them for that. You asked Vince pretty directly, what does this mean about your involvement in WWE? He said, I'm still the chairman and CEO. Nothing's changing. You asked, is this going to change your role on the creative team? Said, no, it won't affect it at all. He kind of angrily said, no, I mean. Yeah, like, how dare you ask that? Oh, well, Vince, I mean, we, we kind of don't necessarily want you in that position. We're kind of hoping that it right. would affect it. I mean, did I come into that call <laughs> hoping that he's going to say, yes, actually, I'll be stepping aside and my, and my, my son-in-law, you know, <laughs> Paul will be taking over. Of course, I was, you know, hoping like a lot of smart marks, but certainly I thought that was the biggest wrestling story. It was, I, absolutely. You know, it tied in also with financially, which we know he's putting in his own money. So as long as it's not taking, as long as WWE will not be on some kind of like hiring freeze or spending freeze for a while, it really comes down to what is Vince's involvement in this. And, you know, he really worked hard to handle hammer home that he's going to have a that you know that press conference may be the last time we see him as the face of this I don't believe that at all in terms of he's going to be hands off and just hire people and they will sure. handle it but I do believe that he has to have had learned lessons from the failure the first time around and one of those lessons is let's have educated people football people run it rather than as we saw in the ESPN documentary like haphazardly throw it together say hey, Basil DeVito you're going to run this and we got to get it ready in six months you know like instead of that but I wonder what they learned from the from a WWE side, even more importantly, because as everyone from Coachman to Jr. will tell you during that time, everybody was spread thin, uh, atrociously spread thin. And this time around, he's saying no WWE crossover whatsoever. I think there's an interesting parallel to make. Vince, when he d did the first XFL, let's call it the old XFL, he you know he's obviously what he knows in life is WWE. And they have to rewrite Raw and SmackDown on a daily basis sometimes and sometimes like hours before the show. And those changes work. They have producers and talent that put those into execution. And we may not necessarily like the idea and the way it goes, but it's executed. 
And I think he thought, well, we're so good at doing that in the XFL. If we need to change a rule because something's not working or we need to go in this direction or that direction, we can do it on the fly. And didn't necessarily realize, you know, running a professional sports league, it's not really the same as running a TV show, which is what the WWE ultimately is. Um, So it looks like he's learned that lesson. And that's good to his credit. And if he is going to be removed from either day-to-day XFL operations or at least, you know, being the face of the organization, then that does allow him to continue in his role in WWE as chairman and CEO. It's just, you know, when you start something new, you want to kind of nurture that baby. If, oh, if, I, if I'm putting $100 million of my own money into something, part of my time is going to it. Like, Could you? There's no way there's, any of us who know Vince McMahon yeah. from the outside looking in have any confidence that he's going to let this be a baby in somebody else's hand that he's just going to fund. Yeah, like, no come way. Come on. Like, this is so unbelievable. But here's a worthy debate, though, because when I hear that, I, I groan for two reasons. One, that means Vince is still on the book. He's not giving up that book, folks. But two, it leads me to believe negatively, oh, is this going to – Water down booking even more, especially during the season if Vince is distracted. I do wonder if the flip side of that means this will naturally force him to give more of the load to Triple H and others. I don't know. I don't think so because we know him and he's pulled this off before. That's the thing. The XFL didn't work before, Adam, but juggling both for him whether he's willing to admit it or not, did work, right? They pulled it off. The WWE didn't go under. That was still a very fertile period for them. It's just frustrating in that regard. I do, before before we would even close on this topic, want to put out the narrative that some are putting out, and it's interesting, is that whether this announcement had so much more to do with TV rights than it did anything else. The WWE-NBC Universal deal is up in 2019. Certainly you could spice up the... The, you know, the, the package and get a larger offer if you were saying you would also get the rights to stream – or I'm sorry, not stream, but have live sports, right, with this football league. Uh, you know, now that probably wouldn't work for someone like a Fox who already has the NFL, of course, but could it work for these new media ventures like Amazon and Facebook? And WWE is certainly trying something out with Facebook right now. That's interesting. Some people believe that Vince has no plans or, or hopes to actually make the NFL work, XFL work, and this is part of the tease for that. I don't believe that because I think yeah. Vince is a crazy old man. Like, let's be really the, honest. They're too, even at this early juncture with not giving us many details, they're too far down the road to just have this be all BS. Now, if it fails in some way and Vince gets $30 million in and he's like, yo, this is not working out. This is really going wrong. Okay, maybe that might be the case. And, and But they can't pull – listen, this is two years now we have. They can't pull the plug in before they make this TV rights deal, which is coming up, what, six months, right? Like it's coming yeah. up soon. So I understand the thought process going in that direction. But the, like you said, the major networks and let's say even CBS, which I don't really think would be – necessarily involved in this, but Fox, CBS, and NBC, they all have NFL deals. Mm -hmm. And if you think the NFL is going to stand by and be thrilled with one of them getting into business with the XFL, you are sadly mistaken, my friend. So you're talking Amazon, which I think is also bidding for NFL rights. Yahoo, which I think just is streaming NFL games right now, playoff games, Um, you know, Netflix, etc. But does Vince really want to have an NFL product or a football product? I'm sorry. Not on mainstream television that's the thing and we have to remember like i mean that that money this is why i tend to believe this it's still the the tv money is still the backbone of wwe they have their own streaming network they got out ahead of that they put their pay-per-views on there but they pay for things from that tv deal so that does lead me to believe maybe this the timing of this is part of it get the announcement out early really start to get people to believe that if you sign wwe you're getting this bonus i just don't think the bonus will work 
I wonder what the deal will be for the XFL because obviously the first time around Vince had pressure to end after the first year, even though he had the guaranteed second year with NBC. It was NBC, the partner, who's like, we can't do this anymore. This, but we saw that documentary where Vince says, I just needed more time and I could have made this work. How much money is he willing to go through the second time around, whether this is part of some sweetened TV deal or this is him separately, to see this idea fail, to see it ultimately fail. Is he willing to go the distance like he is on booking Roman Reigns and some of these other things, for example? <laughs> is he willing to go that distance because he knows it's going to work? And how much money is he willing to lose in the process? It's all really interesting. This is a 72-year-old, very rich, very genius, crazy man who is competitive, and he's making a power move right now. There's a lot of these upstart leagues that have come out over the last 10 years that never play a game. And they get deep. They have drafts. They have team names. What was that league just 10 years ago that was on, like, the Versus Network for a while? You remember that, that I don't. I, I don't remember that one. The one that I had not involvement with but some conversations with in terms of as they were starting up. I think it was called the AAFL, the All-American Football yes. League. They were going to put uh, teams in college stadiums and use that crowd and try to have players that played at those universities, alumni, um, play on those teams. And I was involved with it just because of, one, of one of the spots they were doing was Florida and Gainesville. And I, I knew some of the guys that they were trying to get on those teams. They had drafts. They went deep. Never got a TV deal. Never started. <laughs> just didn't work. And this may go the way of that. And we, we touched on that a, a bit ago. But if it doesn't, and this actually comes to fruition, I mean, I'm going to watch the XFL. I'm into the XFL. I, I have the old footballs in a box. I have old shirts in the box. Oh, I got the old football like, in, my de- well, in my office like, right now. I'm ready to go. I, I, I'm down. But the problem is... If they're going to give us a fam, what Vince said, a family-friendly version, and there's nothing exceedingly unique about it, that's where the other XFL would have worked. We don't necessarily know it would have been adult-themed forever, but if the product was good, if they didn't have production problems, if Vince didn't con- you know, change the rules and do the stuff with the cheerleaders and it wasn't that explicit, the, the people were there watching it, not just initially, but at other times throughout that season. Today, if it doesn't work off jump, if there's not some hook saying, this is why this product is going to be different and, be- and better. And being conservative, quote-unquote, or family-oriented, quote-unquote, is not enough. Because no, there's only so no. much of the population that really cares about that. Okay, so if he debuts new camera angles we've never seen and an ability to watch it on your iPad and these camera angles that you can't get in your right. TV, that's all cool, right? But it's still going to be second-rate football, so you're going to need superstars to sell it. And I really think you got to have crazy rules. I don't know if you have to steal some rules from the Canadian Football League. You have to create new formations. You need something that's just like so different that – raises up scoring and makes this a, a pinball video game type scenario because or you, the or the best case scenario for you long term is to be a feeder league for the NFL which he says he doesn't want to be which he doesn't want to be so right? that that unless your whole goal is that the NFL goes on strike and you're trying to be in the right place at the right time you're only destined Best case scenario is to be a feeder league. Look, this isn't 1967 when the AFL was able to work because there was three channels back then and they had a legit TV deal. So if you didn't get the other channel or if you didn't want to watch the NFL, you could watch this cool AFL, which did have stars and did have cool rules like the two-point conversion. Uh, you got to be something so wacky. So I'm actually not excited about this XFL reboot at all where I was almost comically excited the first time around. And I have friends that were there with me that night, the first game that texted me when this announcement happened. And we're like, please tell me you're not like drinking the juice <laughs> like you were that first time. when we had to like peel you off the wall of how excitement you were uh, talking to Samson, getting fired up for this. And yeah, that, that thing was a wah, the, wah. I will say the, the milk of Mark Nisha f- was flowing for the first XFL. The only reason I'm excited about this is because anything Vince McMahon does, 
I'm excited about. And considering it's in the realm of sports, like I'm not into WWE Studios movies or when they did really? w- you excited about the Mix Max Challenge or, or, and Six Man's doing or, that? Or, or when they did that's different. When they did WWE music, but this it's Vince McMahon. It's it's sports. It's mainstream. It's him either getting praise or a lot of national crap. And we work for CBS Sports. I didn't, obviously, with the initial XFL. I was still in school. It's fun. The fact that I got to write an XFL story uh, yesterday, and we're we're taping this, obviously, um, you know, ahead of the weekend, ahead of the Royal Rumble. But the fact that I got to write that story and that people are talking about it, I just did a phone interview with TSN about the XFL in the year 2018. (laughs) Like, it's kind of fun. This year's already crazy enough. Like, let's see how this plays out. Yeah, I, but the bottom fell out for me, like I said, the second he mentioned. Guys, st- Smarks out there, shut up. I'm the bo- <laughs> with, you know, I'm over, on the book, guys. Nothing's changing. Over my <laughs> dead body, will anybody get their fingers on this book? But we've known that. And you know what? To go back to that very quickly. Look, we, we know the end result on with Vince on the book yes, in WWE. Yes, okay. Yes. This is now accepted fact, especially now. This was his last chance to really say, all right, I'm taking hands off. And, yeah. and if he's not going to do it now, he's never going to do it. That's just the truth. He is never going to so, do it. So, okay, yeah. fine. Vince, we're with you. Ride or die. Let's go. Like, I, you have to be that way because when it's great, it's great. When it's terrible, it's terrible. The 2017 year, the history of the ITC podcast, I, I would almost venture to say it's been a little bit more bad than good. Is that fair to say? It's hard. At least the, 50, sum, 50. the summer was so good. Summer right? was great. Yeah. The, in, through through September with, with the Reina scenes. Reina scenes. Wow. <laughs> I'm I'm all kind of Jerica Omega all over again. The you know through the rain Cena build, but yeah. This oh, is where we're at, is what I'm saying. Yeah, this is where we're at, and this is where we're at is inconsistency, and that's why things like the revolution need to happen to really. We can't get through. Uh, we honestly can't. We're in person here, BC and I, in Fort Lauderdale. We still cannot get through an episode just here, make, without hearing about the quote unquote revolution. Just to make Vince be better. And by the way, we, I, we've got a lot of feedback the last few weeks of you know, do you guys say anything positive anymore? You know, I'm going to stop listening to the show because you guys it's, are. Yeah. Look, guys, if you can accept worse booking on a consistent basis, and I get it, I, I don't want to be a wine fest where, where this is no longer fun. But all I'm saying is. Do I just have a different opinion of what's entertaining? Because I need more WWE on a consistent basis. We're always going to shoot straight. And the truth is, when the product is bad, like SmackDown is right now, it's really bad. And we're going to tell you that. But God, like, if, if, if you don't like us, quote-unquote, whining or complaining now, go back to July and listen to our Great Balls of Fire previews, reviews, and the stuff that we talked about You know, for that two-and-a-half-month span. And tell me that all we do is complain and whine. No. We were putting that over. The Samoa Joe stuff, I popped for incredibly. The NJPW stuff, and I know you guys are more, more focused on WWE, but BC and Nick have gone absolutely nuts with some of the Kenny Omega stuff and Naito and, and Okada. So I don't think it's necessarily fair, but look, Raw 25, which is where a lot of this crit- criticism has come, guys, it wasn't good. And if you really thought it was, then that's just a difference of opinion. We're glad you're still listening to us. We hope you always listen to us. But it's not always going to be sunshine and roses because exactly. guess what? WWE is not always good. And if you always think it is, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know either. But uh, to close on the XFL, Vince doesn't want to cross over, but Nia Jax does. She's had a tour de force of tweets <laughs> saying she's got two years to get ready and get in shape for this. Uh, in closing on the XFL, is this a fail to you, Adam, that there will be no crossover? And Vince doesn't want to cross over probably because he wants this to be a serious league, right? He doesn't want it to be a gimmick like a lot of people remember the original XFL. So he wants this to work. Um, 
I don't. I think it's a fail though to not use your assets in, in, in attempt a crossover. I'm not saying Roman Reigns has to play linebacker for one of these teams. You know what I mean? Or although Bray Wyatt did tweet out, "Hey, if you put a team in New Orleans, coach, I'm ready to play." I just don't know if being again that steadfast and absolute there will be no crossover is the best move for you when a certain core audience is going to watch because you're Vince McMahon and you are and we're WWE fans. I think when he says no crossover, he means in terms of announcers, players, uh, pr- league promotion with wrestlers, things like that, I think you're silly if you don't think you're going to get XFL commercials during Raw and during uh, on NFL Network shows. I mean, not NFL Network, obviously. WWE Network shows. Um, there's going to be promotional crossover. I don't think you're going to get The Rock you know, doing promos for the XFL like he did back in you know, 2001. So I, I think more than anything, he, he's making that very clear to say, look, it's Alpha Entertainment, not WWE. Don't hurt our stock. And you know what happened, BC? I just saw this report. WWE stock hit an all-time high at $34 because anyone that was worried that the XFL might you know, drain that resources, Vince said, hey, it's not. It's Alpha Entertainment. Don't worry. Boom. I think it hit $34, which is an all-time high. <laughs> so good for them, and maybe it did work in that regard. But I don't want Michael Cole calling games. Okay, I don't need Corey Graves calling games. And, and I don't need some of that stuff. So for me, if it is going to be a serious football product, I don't want cross- crossover at all. And good for them. You know, it's interesting because that – XFL documentary brought back a lot of, uh, you know, what went wrong? What, what could it have done right? And we've talked, everyone's talked for 17 years about what went wrong. And there are a lot of things. The football wasn't good enough. It was too basic. But I think they didn't even go in all in back then on wwe it. It was almost right. like mid-season lazy. They're like, well, we need something to spice it up. Let's do some cheesy locker room attitude right. era stuff. Right. I just wonder if they would have planned that thing out better. Could that have worked? And I have more confidence that that could have worked then than this XFL could work now if they completely WWE-itized it. Let the football be real, but let... You can't, but you, you can't have fans having to think about that every time. That's the problem. Wrestling is predetermined, and you can't even put, put a shred of doubt that your games are predetermined when there's people betting on them. Like They're promoting this league right now. Part of the promo, the, the vision statement, is gambling and fantasy. And you cannot – now, granted, there's also reality show fantasy, but we're not going to really get into that. Um, but you can't have gambling and fantasy on something that's predetermined. It literally ruins those I two avenues. I don't – and I know what you're saying. So you're saying if you go down that road, people are going to sniff the, the potential of it being predetermined. Correct. I guess I'm just going more on you know, some of the, the scripted side of it and some of the uh, – just the ridiculousness of it. But I guess you're right. I guess you can't, you can't serve two masters in that. So maybe Vince has figured that out. But – uh, that, I guess that's why I stopped watching, you know, week three the first time around was it just wasn't as bells and whistly enough. So hopefully, Vince, you've got a plan that we don't know about as we come closer to 2020. And as we wrap here, Adam, uh, I don't know. How do we wrap this, Adam? This is weird. You're it's a hearing, strange podcast. You're hearing from me now, and I haven't seen the Royal Rumble yet. But uh, <laughs> you will be hearing my take as we move forward. And when I get off that boat, Adam, I will have a lot of WWE hours to catch up on. Well, tell the good people. We're not going to have a normal edition of In This Corner this week because uh, Brian Campbell will be on a cruise. He'll be somewhere in the Caribbean. Am I yeah, correct yeah, about that? somewhere in the Western Caribbean. If, if any ships go down, then, you know, you can look so, out for me. So all he needs to do when he gets back is watch – uh, five hours of the Royal Rumble, two and a half hours of NXT TakeOver, and five hours of WWE TV. And that's if he doesn't watch NXT on Wednesday. Oh, and Raw and SmackDown. And 205 Live. So this guy's got about 12 hours of WWE to catch up on uh, before our next podcast. Maybe I'll send a bootleg version of ITC uh, five-minute audio review of Raw and SmackDown out yes. on Twitter or something. But you're not going to have another official ITC podcast for another week. 
So, yeah, that's about it. Hey, follow us on our social medias, as always, at The Costos. Remember that guy at B. Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam. Follow the show at In This Corner CBS. And as you exit, Adam, do you have any words you want to offer to people? Just two. We out.